0: Spaces, what are we living for? Abandoned mm. places, I guess we know this. Does anybody know what we are looking for? Hello, and welcome to Bennett and the Queen, the show that loved the graphic novel I Vampire. This is episode six. I'm your host, Nick Antoine. Old business. Her name is Tig. T I G. Should have been easier to remember. New business. I will stop smoking when it stops feeling so good. Issue number six of I Vampire. This Charming Man. Written by Joshua Hale Fialkov, Penciled and inked by Andrea Sorrentino. Colors by Marcello Marcello Maiolo. Apologies, Marcello Maiolo. Pat Brousseau was the letterer. Will Moss was the associate editor, whilst Matt Idelson was the main editor. The cover was brought to life by Andrea Sorrentino and Marcello Maiolo. J.M. DeMatteis and Tom Sutton set the stage. Let's watch with rapt attention. Here we are, the prelude to what has occurred already within the Darker Corners podcast, The Rise of the Vampires. This is the other side of the story that's been playing out over the last five issues. And now you could count this one as well, these six issues of uh, what has brought about this rise of the vampires, uh, where that threat was coming from towards the team that at the time, if I'm not mistaken, it consisted of uh, Zatanna, um, Madame Xanadu, John Constantine, uh, da, 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 da. Perhaps Frankenstein, Agent of Shade No, not even Rackshade was there Yeah, Rackshade was there Yeah, because it was after the fact He started getting all the other characters um, So you you had the dilemma going on over there You know, and I don't like to spoil any of this stuff um, And then you had this this dilemma in Gotham City as it's sprawled out to now but just kind of up and down the uh, the eastern seaboard as it were I guess the Midwest to the eastern seaboard it was all of America all of America was being overrun by vampires in different places but our main heroes had no idea Andrew Tig, John John Troughton professor John Troughton and Batman on this first page I love it how it'll be the third reading at, at the very least where I'm catching some of these things but these three panels were watching him do this one move that's really three moves it's awesome he does this left hook and in one motion opens up his palm that left palm and places it on the person's already turned head because he punched them places the right hand behind the head in the second panel and in the third panel We were meant to believe that he snapped this vampire's neck in two moves. It was like, knock them out, snap their neck, but that's kind of ridiculous. Overkill, assuredly, but you know, it's Batman, so you expect him to use extreme force, not excessive, but extreme force to stop the battle because you've got to win the war. And that's that's what this is, even though this is a a prelude to a, a whole new arc. Now we know, you know, if you're coming to this podcast from Darker Corners, you know that Rise of the Vampires has already occurred, but given the timeline of this series, it's just been this slow build, this building of the team that's going to be the good guys fighting against this rising tide, the the said tide being coagulated by the Queen of Blood herself for motives that we, we still don't know. Uh, where their origins lie but up until this point we know some of the motivations of of the characters involved the Batman vigilante good Tig Raphael's son vampire hunter and borderline psychotic question mark when it comes to our motivations Professor John Troughton vampire hunter former bon vivant Andrew Bennett the undead 600 year old vampire good and then we have in, in, in the mix of all the bloody corpses vampiric horde murdery jerks evil the stage has been set at least a hundred vampires up against these uh fateful five that's really what it is Um even though there's four individuals on the good, good side you know, Batman, Tig <clears throat> John and Andrew the vampire, you know, they're not really under the Queen of Blood's protection, or or really under her her thrall, and we'll get to that in a, in a little bit, but we see, we're seeing the the culmination of characters, as it were, we see a little bit of it through uh, Professor Troughton, a little later, just kind of being the perpetual backup to Andrew, Andrew being the the first lieutenant, as it were, maybe even second lieutenant, and I'm, I'm going down in rank on purpose, um, with this platoon, or really this squad, this is a really small group of people, um, kind of playing point and telling people where to go. And you had this lone sniper, that would be Batman, kind of joining the team and, and doing what he thinks he needs to do to to continue to have the battle turn in their favor but Tig is still murderous as is stated here the vampire hunter borderline psychotic she sees a vampire and it's as if a, a light bulb goes off in her brain or really as if somebody pulls the light down from the the socket and if, as if that weren't enough the light already gone smashes the bulb on the ground so that it can never be lit again uh, only to have her subconscious uh, come along and screw in another light bulb hopefully quick enough to turn the light back on um, she very very quickly just from side to side with her axe the axe we saw in the, the cover uh, chopping off heads turning corporeal into, into mist solid into incorporeal and, and we see Andrew does not want to kill all these vampires regardless of how much guilt he's been racked with he genuinely wants to save all these different people. So he locates the Queen of Blood whilst everyone starts getting just ridiculously subdued. And I got—I just—I like pointing this out. Tig is just riddled with Band-Aids. And that's interesting to me, not because, of course, she's going to be fighting up against monsters and, and using sharp blades all the time. She's going to get cut. But I like this idea that vampirism isn't like zombieism. Um, that there are various stages of undead, and perhaps you could be pushed towards being a revenant, which is basically a vampire zombie. You're basically still half human, half dead. That's technically what it means to be a vampire. Most vampiric lore is a flesh vessel of humanity, and depending on how much of your brain is left is how how much of your humanity still resides not how much of your heart that's that's all metaphors We but we know this you know this um a revenant is an individual who has more human to, to demon ratio as it were within their body so they're kind of like a falling apart vampire that's why they're not like a zombie think Think Gabriel's right-hand man in the prophecy. That character, he was kind of falling apart, but he could hold the conversation. That's not a zombie. A zombie can't do that. A zombie uh, has slurred speech patterns because of a degraded brain stem. Um, doesn't that's not the case with vampires? But because there isn't enough of the the life-giving blood, as it were, flowing through their their veins, their body isn't um, attached to that. uh creature natural coil it's still attached to the mortal coil Um, so this idea that somebody could just have like bandages all over themselves but still getting into this horrid horrid bloodbath and seemingly without a fear of being turned either into a revenant or a full-fledged vampire uh, shows that there's there's a meticulousness to turning that at the very least the person must have most of their own blood drained from their vessel before they can uh, start walking down the path of vampirism it's a subtle touch but it's one that's I, I definitely don't think it's purposeless it can't just be an affectation of the character you know Oh, she just wears a bunch of different multicolored band-aids I think it would just be she's just picking up band-aids wherever she can pick them up in whatever town she's in and an attempt to try and keep her own blood from smelling uh, delectable to potential um, potential not prey, predators there you go, vampiric predators um, but yes, Batman Andrew, all of them, Tig John just getting subtly overrun as the two most powerful beings uh, the Queen of Blood here stated as the Vampire Queen ex-girl- ex-girlfriend way evil and again, I think most of these descriptors are, are John's. I'm sorry, Andrew Bennett's, not, not John uh, Troughton. Um Andrew Bennett's, even though the, the terminology seems like something that the character of Tig would be saying. Most of the inner monologues, not all the inner monologues in this issue, have been Andrew's. And through the series, it's usually either been Andrew's or um, the Queen of Blood's. If I'm not mistaken, it was the first four issues. It just kind of went back and forth. And in issue five, that was the first time where we got a, a break in narrative and the monologue was being given by Tig, kind of from the future. We were watching the recent past unfold. But uh, as, the, as the two vampires ascend above the din and attempt to re-strategize, Andrew finds the The culprit, the one that hopefully can turn the tide, um, as I stated earlier, he realized you know as as he would know, you know you take out the sire, all these progeny are going to turn back into humans um, but I think it's it's the way that he he says it here specifically we've got to kill that boy in order to set them all free. Batman loses his cool, and we get this beautiful image, uh page six. It's very very um, painting in the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo's painting of uh creation of, what is I think it's called the creation of Adam. I think that's what the painting's called. It might just be called the creation, but I think it's called the creation of Adam, or the fall of Adam, one of those two. Uh, but where you see, if you're looking at the painting, on the left stage right, <laughs> but on the left, uh, Adam reaching out with his left hand And on the right, God's hand reaching down and their fingers just barely touching. Here, that symbolism is is perfect. The human gloved facade that is uh, Batman's hand reaching out, letting go of, though, not trying to receive um, what he sees as the all-powerful being in his world, his world being Gotham, the being being the symbol of the bat, the batman uh, the, the the bat symbol uh, embodied in this batarang re- leaving his hand, but just if you just take this still image one could assume that he's reaching out to touch it, it could be lodged in a wall, it could be stuck in midair, who knows of course given the action he's throwing the boomerang, but it's just it's such a perfect image Every single time I've read this issue, I've stopped right here because it says so much about the character that we're really not supposed to be paying that much attention to. We're supposed to be paying attention to everything and everyone else, uh, as evidenced by the following panel. <laughs> Andrews hit right away, and he's hit by a couple of these tiny—not tiny—they're kind of big batarangs. They're almost the size of his forearms. Um, so either he's shrunken down or there's something else going on here because they're gigantic even this this middle panel the size of these batarangs there's two of them one in like his forefinger uh, I'm sorry his middle finger the other one it seems to be just stuck in his wing Um, but yeah this 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 particular worshipped deity being the symbol of the bat is able to take down this vampire who has turned into a bat midair again I don't think it's a mistake that it's this character being able to take down that character all this stuff is planned out and again why would something like that be necessary for a character like Batman again he's he's a he's a guest star in this in this arc you have to give a justification as to why this character would be on par with the rest of the vigilantes in in this particular story arc, in this series. Um, And to have an individual who can take down somebody who is seen within the context of this story as one of the most powerful beings in the story. And to have an individual just use a couple pieces of metal and just take them down as if it were nothing and not have any retaliation back at them, uh, thrown back at them shows not only how powerful the the main vigilante is in the story that being andrew bennett but how necessary batman is as a character not only can he take uh, andrew down but you know in in a, in a time that seems necessary for the batman but perhaps at a, he could do so at a time when it doesn't seem necessary to andrew bennett to the character oh yeah we're just going to go kill this kid to stop all these problems that's no big deal but it's a batman and I guess not I guess definitively to anyone that's got any kind of morality they probably try and look at it a different way you know like maybe we maybe there's another way to do this without having to stab a child and hope maybe some of these people get turned back into back into humans <clears throat> but um, again it's all about symbolism. You know, Andrew Bennett turns himself from um, man-bat, as it were, into a wolf to search out the the little kid that's disappeared, who had himself turned into a wolf and and ran off. All these other people still chomping at the bit to eat this vigilante party. As Andrew turns back into a bat, a a man-bat, holding the child, now turned into wolf-cub, in the air, and gruesomely dispatching of them. As as, as as a few, as a few, not a lot, but a few of, of the turned, return to their humanity. God, it's such a gruesome, gruesome image, though. It's horrible. Not so much the turning, but the method of, of turning these people back. Again, if you know it's a child, then, then you're disgusted. But seeing it the way that it's portrayed, it's a wolf. He stabs a wolf that turns into a a beheaded corpse on the ground, or seems to be a beheaded corpse on the ground. Um, It's gruesome. Cold-blooded. Heartless. And it doesn't even turn the tide that much. There are still hundreds of people that are vampires, but instead of turning back into a wolf he turns into a wolf man and standing 10 feet over <laughs> everybody um, I guess I don't know about three to four feet over everyone probably a good nine feet tall just this gigantic beast um, Batman again stops him let's him know like look you you've taken this too far like all these people don't have to die if you can be good other people can be good as well. And you have the Queen of Blood just kind of hilariously taunting Batman and Batman like you know, again, putting that out there, like you have no idea what kind of battle you're getting involved with here. Or what kind of what kind of, you know, true demon you're up against. You know, you think you can come here with all your preternatural beings and rule my city. I live in the night you know weird stuff like that and of course as over, over prepared as Sherlock Holmes in any story he's got this bizarre device that he's going to use on her hoping that it will ruin her day of course it doesn't because she's undead and then we get the twist the, the, the twist in the story the twist ing of the knife the turning of the tide the upping of the ante as it were things change for the worse. they change drastically there's, there's a, a spinning around of, of the plot that seems to come out of nowhere but it also seems to be resolved quite quickly but trust me it isn't if you're just reading this now it's not resolved quickly it's got dire ramifications and this is a uh, this is a big event, a big changing, again beautifully rendered, beautifully depicted by Andrea Sorrentino and uh, Maiolo, Marcello Maiolo. Um, without spoiling it, this 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 type of detail that I saw, this type of drawing that I saw in the Green Arrow graphic novel where you have the entire image is painted in one color and you highlight certain action beats by having rectangles fully colored in over certain areas so more than three-quarters I'd say like well I was gonna say six-eighths It's the exact same thing Um, three-quarters of this entire two-page spread is 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 muted with a particular color scheme and then you have these different six boxes all over the place that are either within the present, or just depending on the location, you know, the, the box in the top left is like a couple seconds before the action, uh, before we witness the action, at the moment that it happens. And then the middle panels, like the middle three, like top two and the bottom left, those are in the moment, and the bottom right two panels are at the moment directly after. But the entire image in the background, under all of these squares and rectangles—really, just different-sized rectangles—that all is just that the the turning point in the story. And it's expected. It's unexpected. It's gruesome. It's 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 light. You know, if you look at page sixteen, that middle panel, there could be a ridiculous amount of brutality being displayed there, instead it's a very calm and quiet uh, turning. Even with all of the descriptions being given, it's, it's more of an ode than a decree. People's faces filled with fear as the story ends and folds into Rise of the Vampires. The continuing part of this story occurs in Justice League Dark number 7. So if you want to hear the rest of where this story goes or or you want to just continue listening to how this story pans out, I recommend you going over to Darker Corners and listening to issues number 7 of Justice League Dark. That's where this story continues. That would be Rise of the Vampires number one. Rise of the Vampires number two, because this is the prelude. Rise of the Vampires number two would be issue number seven of iVampire. So I would say for this particular issue, the theme was betrayal. You know, the Queen of Blood and Andrew Bennett have been battling, they've been dealing with their own uh, perceived versions of betrayal amongst each other over the course of this whole series thus far. They've been feeling betrayed and acting out accordingly. Um, Tig has felt betrayed by God, and thus Lee has been doing everything she's been doing her entire life, leading her to her new group of friends with Andrew Bennett and with John Troughton. John Troughton seemingly feeling betrayed after everything that he's done to get to the point that he's at. To have the events play out the way that they have in this issue How could he not feel betrayed Perhaps now at this point by God Or by his own um, His own Tuning fork His own ability to make correct decisions How could he not as a character feel betrayed by that Uh, Batman to a lesser degree in this particular issue um, Having his own credo His own way of doing things not being able to impress upon anyone in this new group of people, let alone the people that he's fighting. No one is taking anything that he's saying to heart or anything that he's doing, uh, keeping it in mind. You know, and and Andrew, of course, his ultimate betrayal in this issue, being betrayed, not perpetuating betrayal, of course. You read this. Everybody's either feeling betrayed or doing the betraying left and right in this issue, and it comes to a head. None of it goes unresolved. It all it all manifests itself. It all shows itself, and it's in its horridly shining glory. And, and we we stumble headlong into rise of the vampires. Every character feeling like they are completely lost, um, as themselves, as characters. As well as having felt like they've lost already the war before they fought the first battle, another great issue you know it could have it could have zipped by as one would expect with modern day graphic novels you know they try and pack a bunch of information and story and and, and art into a certain amount of pages. It's not like it's you know. 36 pages or 48 pages you know it's you get 18 pages sometimes sometimes less sometimes more I'm trying to tell you an entire story a month's worth of blood sweat and tears from the perspective of the artist as well as keeping your attention and not making it feel like it's some boring story that you're reading no no it's it's ramping you up it's it's paying off the the promise of violence from the previous issue and setting up for an entirely different scenario, a completely different arc. Difficult, difficult to do, and yet it was done. And I'm sure at this point they were the, under the assumption we're six issues in that, you know, this is going to be a nice long run. So they 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 they're fleshing out these different characters, these these story settings and the, the potentialities of of the the mainstays within within said series so it's it's a great run we're about a third of the way done and and I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. I must say this is going to be a much shorter episode, but that's because that was that's kind of the point of the issue. The issue wasn't really there to try and expand your mind it was really there. Of course, if it did, then that's great. That's great. That's the point of all of this art, regardless of the character that's being used to portray the feelings of the artist. Um, But this was made to set the stage. It's a prelude for a reason. It's like an introduction in a story. You could read it and, and, and get the table set, but it's just the plates. It's just the it's just the, the the set dressings as it were the food is the rise of the vampires so we know we know where everything is we know the the shifting of the status quo we've been made to go back on our on our heels a little bit and now jumping into rise of the vampires 1 or justice league dark number 7 as it were you could jump headlong into uh where all this is going and then you can return to this issue next week to find out what happens in Rise of the Vampires, Part Two. Part Two. You can email the show at B and the Q, capital B, capital Q, B and the Q, at gmail.com um, That's if you've got any questions or anything like that, questions or suggestions, and any of that cool jazz, CD one hundred one point nine. Uh, it's on Twitter, at B and the Q, again, capital B, capital Q, B and the Q, all one word, B and the Q, capital B, capital Q. Um, what else? You know what? On iTunes, give this show a bunch of stars and say like, hey, this is a podcast. Uh, or they talk, you know, vampires get talked about. Uh, just type my name into the search, Nick Antoine, N-I-C space A-N-T-O-I-N-E, Nick Antoine, and then all the other podcasts will pop up, Um, and then go get the DC Comics app, because it's it's pretty word, and you get all these issues, you get this series, you can get Constantine, you can get Swamp Thing, you can get Hellblazer, you can get Pandora, or Phantom Stranger, or, you know, all-Star Superman. I don't know why I went there. That was, that was a weird pull. Um, again, it's what happens when you record super early in the morning. This has been Episode 6. I have been Nick Antoine. You have been the Oral Voyeur. Thank you for listening. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Yeah.